The Mach 5 has been sabotaged. Speed, if you don't win, we could lose everything. Here, Speed. Huh? The Volkswagen GTI. Faster, Speed! Look out! <gasps> this GTI is amazing, and it's got room for four. <laughs> On the road of life, there are passengers, and there are drivers. Go, Speed Racer, go! This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, May 10th, 2011. This is episode 64. And as always, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me from somewhere in the fragrant harbor is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Uh, happy birthday, Buddha. Yeah, it's the Buddha's birthday today. Yes, sir. Did you have a cake? Uh, no, I don't know. What, what, what do you get the Buddha? For his birthday. Well, I, you know, if you live on Chung Chow, I guess you get him a bun, because yeah. that's where they have the big, you know, bun festival uh, competition, you know. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, because I guess some Buddhists are like pure vegetarians or vegans. They won't even partake of eggs, so you can't like get him a traditional cake. Um, but I don't know. What did you do? Did you do anything special today? No, I just, uh, what was a day off for me plus some adawas? So I'm not sure if, if that's... Uh, secular-wise or religiously, if that's the correct thing to celebrate. Mm, anyway, mm. Uh, I'm not sure what this, what do Taoists and Buddhists have against each other. There's some kind of holy war that I don't know about. Um, I Yeah, I just kind of stayed home all day. How about you, Paul? Did you do anything special? Uh, nope, just uh, kind of hung out, went to see the uh, bone doctor, had another wow. visit with the bone doctor, and uh, just kind of relaxed. Uh, was ba- basically a lazy Buddha. <laughs> um, Buddha of laziness, you might call me today, uh, but but you know it's back to work tomorrow, back to the, to the old uh, daily grind. But we are not here to talk about Buddhas and birthdays. We are here to talk about movies. This is the podcast where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. So let's get to some of that in between stuff in the form of news right now. All right, uh, just a few news stories this week. Um, oh, I should probably, you know, mention what we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, we've got two films, the first uh, Hong Kong film, Punished, and uh, another big summer blockbuster in the form of Fast Five, or The Fast and the Furious Five, depending on uh, which title it's being pushed under. Um, but we've got a couple of news stories to cover, and the first one up is about a film we talked about last week, that is The Lost Bladesman. Um, doing rather well, right? Uh, the box office numbers are, are pretty good, and uh, you were tweeting, or somebody was tweeting, about uh, the talks of possibility a, a sequel that's focusing solely on the character of Cow uh, Cow, right? Yeah. Um, so you, can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on with this? Sure. Um, well, of the Lost Placement have uh, done quite well over the Golden Week holiday. Um, it's it made hundred million RMB in the last uh, in the first six days, and then the second week uh, it made an additional fifty. So now it's at a uh, RMB hundred and fifty million. Uh, you want to know how much? Of course, you can always use XC.com currency converter and, and realize how much that is. But to to know how big this is, just convert it to uh, essentially American dollars, and that's you would get that kind of, that's what kind of impact it has. So it's almost as if it got a $100 million opening in the States. That's how big it was. Mm. Um, so obviously the, the the producers are interested in bringing back everyone. Um, Alan Mack, Felix Chong, the director, the writer-directors, and also um, Jiang Wen, of course, to, to, do, to do a, a continuation. Um, so... They would like to bring back those three to do a Cao Cao uh, follow-up, uh, which I guess 
I assume would be solely focused on um, the character probably after the events of the yeah. Lost Placement. I, so I remember when we talked about um, uh, Red Cliff, you know, it's one of the interesting things about Red Cliff, and this may be a bit spoilerish if you haven't seen it, but, you know, you go into Red Cliff and you get a clear sense of, you know, who the heroes are supposed to be. Um, and then it's kind of the same thing here, but if they were to do, you know, a continuation, I mean, basically Cow Cow is the character who, through the Three Kingdoms period, ends up coming out on top, you know, mm -hmm. at, uh, in, in the long run, at least in terms of length of his reign. Everybody else ends up dying at some point. <laughs> um, you know, he kind of survives um, all of the, the, the key heroic figures that are known from, you know, this period. So if you've played the video games or you've, you've read the stories or seen any of the movies, um, he's the one that kind of, you know, through cunning and, and what have you, uh, outlives them all. Um, but I don't know. Do you think, why, why do you think, first, why do you think this film is, is so successful? Is it because of Donnie or is it because of the, the subject matter? Or is it because of John Wen? And if it's because of Donnie, do you think a sequel that was just focused, I mean, where John Wen was kind of the leading character, it would do quite as well? Um, I mean, because, you know, he did have uh, uh, Let the Bullets Fly earlier. And there's some talk about a sequel for that. Is that right? Yeah, well, John, I think it's a combination of uh, the subject matter being the Three Kingdoms story uh, and also Lord Guan. And obviously the stars. Donnie Yen is right now probably the biggest action actor in China right now. And Zhang Wen, thanks to Let the Bullets Fly, he was already a, a pretty popular actor. But Let the Bullets Fly really made him into essentially, uh, he could get essentially carte blanche on anything he would do after that. He can have his choice of projects. He can do anything he wants. So yes, the next movie he's working on right now is the sequel to Let the Bullets Fly. He he's already flown to um, when it was in Tribeca Festival. He met with writers uh, to try and get a a foreign injection of I guess foreign talent. Uh, I think he's aiming to shoot at the end of the year. Um, so that's why this this whole Chow Chow follow up talk. It's really only speculation. It's only the producer saying, "Oh, we would like to do it." Uh, there's nothing locked yet because, especially because the directors have their own project. They have um, they just finished Over Her Two. They also they're also working on Win. I think Win Talker or Win Listener. It was a project that I saw at Film Mart that's supposed to star Tony Learn. So they at least have these two projects to finish before they even think about continuing on and, and making Chow Chow. Uh, mm -hmm. So I wouldn't worry too much, or I wouldn't take this with a grain of salt. Or I would take this with a grain of salt because it's just a producer. It, they must well be saying, you know, it's almost like Paramount saying, like, oh, we already want Transformers 4, but it depends on whether talent get together or not. That kind of talk. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, our next bit of news this week, um, going back into some festival circuit talk, and that is uh, about the film from last year, Aftershock. And it got the top award at Udine, which a couple of our friends were in attendance to and should be on their way back to Hong Kong now. Um, I don't know. I was, I guess this is to be expected, right? Um, but I was kind of surprised at the same time. I am not so surprised. I mean, is it... it Udine is a very, very much a genre film festival, so I guess in that sense, I'm a little surprised that it would win. But it has a lot of fans. Um, I am not one of those fans, but I could understand why certain people like it so much. And and especially if you like it, then you're really pushing the emotions. Really bring out really uh, a really strong strong reaction to it. So I'm not too surprised that it won it won the top prize. Um, I'm a little surprised that both the top two films are the are the Chinese films. Meanwhile, um, Confessions only took the the Black Dragon Prize, which was um, I think quote unquote voted for by the most art ardent cinephile subscriber, subscribers to the festival. I'm mm. not sure what that means. Um, and they only got it only came fourth in the audience vote. I'm a little mm. surprised about that. I thought it would, it would rank a little higher. Mm. Uh, second place was uh, the. Zangimo uh, Romance, uh, Under the Hawthorn Tree. And the third place, as listed by the article here, uh, Chris Martinez's uh, comedy, Here Comes the Bride from the Philippines. Um, and I, you tweeted a little bit sometime last week or something about the next project, right? Um, yeah. Focusing uh, on famine project. or something? Yeah, he's doing uh, Feng Xiaogang's next project, another, I'm sure, another big budget. Um, 
film will be on uh, a famine that took place during World War II um, in China, which mm-hmm. is, of course, interesting because I've, I've had friends that comment, why didn't Feng Xiaogang make a movie about the famine that took place during the Great Leap Forward? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, a, just, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, it, uh, of course, uh, it's it's a very commercially friendly project because it's about World War Two and yeah. it's Feng Feng Xiaogang. Essentially, again, he's he's one of those guys like John Wen. He he wants to make something, he'll get the money for it, and yeah. he's a very smart filmmaker. It's a very smart commercial filmmaker in that he knows what audience to appeal to and knows what buttons to push. So um, this is just there's no there's another step. But I mean, do, do you think it's just going to be more of the same? you know, that he's already done in Aftershock? I mean, is it just going to be a sort of paint-by-the-numbers, oh, bad things happen to people, and isn't it sad, and, you know, China bands together in times of crisis and hurrah? Of course. Yeah. Of course, what else is going to make money in China? Yeah. You can't make anything else in China. You can't, even um, even though uh, Seal of Life and Death was uh, made a lot of money, uh, 160 million RMB, it was also very much widely criticized for having a, a a fairly friendly view of uh, Japanese soldiers. Mm. So right now, every other TV channel, I'm not kidding, it's a World War II TV drama um, about, you know, same thing, you know, soldiers banding together and fighting the Japanese enemies. It's it's something that that will make money because it's just something that people watch every day. And if it's Feng Shogun do it, they would like to see what Feng Shogun does with it. So it is going to be a hit. No one, no, there's no, no doubt about it. Mm. All right, our final bit of news, uh, also coming from Film Biz Asia, uh, the Terracotta and New York Indian Film Festival, also running uh, around this time. A lot of festivals going on. Um, too many to keep track of for me. Uh, but uh, they, they ended, and they had they announced their winners. Um, and let's see, the uh, Sam Votas-directed film Red Light Revolution won the Terracotta Film Festival. And a Spring in the Colony, yeah, directed by Arjun Gorisaria uh, and Moinak uh, Biswas, was named the best feature film at New York Indian Film Festival. Um, also showing at the Terracotta Festival in the UK was The Lost Bladesman, um, which uh, we talked about last week, and also the European premiere of Yakuza Weapon, and uh, a couple more Hong Kong films, Revenge, A Love Story, and uh, Gallants is what got some screen time as well. And I know that one of our, one of our friends, uh, uh, David Harris, is probably having a good time amongst other people at the Terracotta F- Festival. A small festival, but uh, fairly relevant and growing from uh, what I keep reading online. Um, I don't know. Do you think we'll get a chance to see any of these Indian films? Um... I, I'm hoping that the uh, Ishika IFF will bring back the Bollywood movie this for the summer edition because this year they didn't have one um, at their festival in March. Um, also, we'll probably see another Bollywood film or Indian film, at least one or two at the uh, Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. Mm. So, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping to see these films eventually. Of course. Yeah. If not, we'll just go to Chungking and, and see who we can talk to about getting some DVDs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh I think that's going to wrap it up for news this week. Uh, let's get in and talk about some movies. Alright, uh, one e-screen movie for this week, and that is the latest Hong Kong film, Punished. Now, Kevin, you saw this, but you saw this back in the film festival, is that correct? Yes, I saw this uh, along with the stars of the film at the uh, the premiere of the Hong Kong International Film Festival. Mm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot and uh, some of your thoughts on it? Because I haven't had a chance to get out and see it, unfortunately. Okay. Um, this uh, punishes the latest film by director Law Wing Chun. Uh, in case you don't know who he is, he is the guy with the glasses in all those Milky Way movies, including uh, he was one of the three or four uh, thieves in Sparrow. Um, and he's also, of course, uh, an ex- executive director, I think what the, uh, the title is, uh, for Milky Way and also an editor for certain Johnny Toe films. Um, essentially, I think what he does for Johnny Toe is that he takes directions and he executes them. And that's very much what Punish is like. It's like a film 
made by a director, a worksman. I think I wrote all this, the word in my review a lot. A worksman. He he's he executes certain things, um, and he's very good at it. And that's what who Love and Churn is. He previously directed Hooked on You to become one, and the only PTU spinoff film in theaters. I forgot what it was called. I think Tactical Unit Comrade in Arms. If I'm if I'm not mistaken um so punished is another revenge film uh this time it explores the psyche of the avenger um the revenge plot this time uh involves a kidnapping of a tycoon's uh daughter the tycoon uh, the real estate tycoon uh, wan ho chiu is played by uh anthony wan and his daughter um daisy played by janice mann is kidnapped, and the opening scene we see that we've realized that she's been murdered. Um, then we flash back to see the, the the events that led to it. We find out that Daisy is actually uh, a spoiled daughter who has stepmother issues and who uh, Ho Chiu has has problem uh, controlling. Um, even though Ho Chiu likes to control essentially everything in his life, including his employees and his family. Um, even Daisy is so bad that when when she first gets uh, kidnapped, uh, Ho Chu actually suspects that she did it uh, to herself in order to get the money, um, and that's really the first problem of the movie. Um, Daisy is quite an unlikable character. She is essentially a very spoiled brat uh, type bad girl that really has very little redeemable quality. So when when she dies and and um. Ho Chi was trying to get revenge for her death. We were wondering, well, why? I mean, I'm not saying she she should die, but you know, she should have at least gotten slapped around a little bit. I mean, it doesn't really. Uh, anyway, so to get revenge, uh, Ho Chi sends off his uh, bodyguard slash right hand man Chor, uh, played by Richie Ren, um, who is an ex convict, uh, essentially to hunt down the kidnappers and to take them down one by one. Um, my problem with the film, in addition to the the character not really being worthy for vengeance, I guess, is that the Avenger, who is Ho Chu, uh, doesn't really do much of the avenging. He essentially just sends off Richie Ran to do his dirty work, and he stands by his side and and just reacts to things yeah, but, happening. I mean, we're talking about a Hong Kong tycoon. I mean, that would probably yes. be the way it would work. You know, I wouldn't expect uh, a Stanley Ho or a or a, you know a um, now Lee Ka Sing, Dixon Lee to to do it themselves, right? They'd probably hire a a thuggish strongman. My question is, how does Richie Ren do? Because I mean, this is not a guy I would see being able to take up that kind of a role. You know, he's usually uh, you know the nice guy, the guy you know we think of when we think of things like contract lover or um, summer vacation or something like that, right? Yeah. Um... He he is really miscast here. Actually, he is the darkest character. He's the one that's coveting pretty much almost all of the violence in the film, including you know breaking legs of sledgehammer and shooting people and the action scenes are him. Um, I guess he's physically fine for it. Uh, in films like um, Breaking News and and uh, Exile, you see him do action, but here he doesn't. His face or his personality, or his persona, there's something about it that doesn't really sell the fact that he could be this cold blooded killer ex-convict con- convict guy um i haven't seen much uh views that 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 supports mine but i think it's really miscast and he's not really quite fitting in the role um and you know the question about the 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 the, the tycoon of course yes i mean obviously i would love to see lee kashing type take on like or a movie of Lee Kashin lookalike, you know, taking on a machine gun and shooting all the bad guys. <laughs> I mean, that'd be an awesome movie. But no, you're right. It, it is. It is more likely that he would do it. But as a film, it's not all that interesting to see him just stand on his side and and because you're the movie is exploring his psyche, not not the psyche of the Richie Ren character. If you're exploring the psyche of the Richie Ren character and how the violence rubs on on, on him, that would be fine because you got the right guy was well, it more right. of a problem that you just don't care about the daughter because um, of her personality so you don't feel like there's a need you know for the for the exploration of this father figure you know uh going through this process um the thing is he he his well yeah i think that's part of the problem but because I, I, I mean when i think time. of this i think a little bit of dream home for some reason 
And I think one of the reasons why Dream Home worked was because you did get a sense of, you know, uh, Josie Ho's character. Okay, sure, she's psychotic and doing this, but you kind of get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of get that it's the society that's pushed her in. And so you do kind of get a feel for her um, a little bit. Yeah, I think... Um even though most of the characters are unlikable in this film, they all have a redeeming quality, like you said about Josie Ho, is that what she's fighting for is something that you can understand. And of course, I mean, uh, a man's avenging his daughter's death, that's something you can understand. That's a very primal parental thing, obviously, a human nature thing. Um, but I just found that they were exploring really the wrong person. Anthony Wong, of course, he's really good in the film. He's very solid, and he pulls off that the torment quite well. But um, uh, yeah, it's not the, the the revenge isn't really doesn't really have the impact that it ought to have. Or when he's getting frustrated, you're like, yeah. Would it, okay, would it have been better if he would have just if there wouldn't have been a Richie Ren character and he would have been like a Charles Bronson, you know, type of uh, it been more of a Charles Bronson type of role for him, just him. Yeah, yeah. Because you, then you but then you start rolling back. You, you start going. You, you take down the entire the chain reaction. What happened essentially? Then you start wondering. Okay, if this guy's just a normal dude, normal normal Joe, uh, who is like a Charles Bronson type, who is avenging a death of his daughter's kidnapping. Why is she being kidnapped? So then you, you're 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 the guy that's uh, Anthony Wan has to be a rich guy, and of course a rich guy will have a we have a minion, we have a right hand man. It's just one of those things that you kind of roll back. Of course, there are other ways, there are creative ways around it, uh, mistaken identity, whatever. Um, that could happen. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um, if he was like a Charles Bronson type, and it would be great to see Anthony Wong going back to that crazy, psychotic, avenging character anyway. I think it would be awesome. Yeah, sort um, of like a Liam Neeson and Taken, right? Where he's Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for some reason, I keep thinking Ebola syndrome, but I don't, I don't think the same kind of... <laughs> or... <he's> ki- <laughs> or uh, <laughs> Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Yanyuk Chasubao. Um, yeah, untold story. Yeah, untold story. Where, where he's like, he's like giving the villains AIDS or something. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but anyway, for, right now it's um, there's some uh some solid action um in the revenge process. Uh, like it's some hardcore, some some okay, some pretty good violent stuff. Um, but. They're very proficient just because Law is a very good technical director. He's not really a stylish director. So the action is just is servicing the plot and there's really nothing that stands out. Um, what it also needed because Law is such a good, I guess, technical director that he doesn't really have style. He doesn't really have a style to bring because what he does, what he was supposed to do, I guess, was to emulate Johnny Toe's style. So when the time for came, came for him to direct his own films, I'm not sure what whether he had... A style or not or i think his, 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 his job is to not have a, his own style so the film doesn't really you know the film is is really average in that in that department and i think what it needed was a dose of dark humor uh something that i guess is always lifting johnny toe's films or milky way crime films that it always had a very dark sense of humor which is not here um and that hurts when the when the avenge plot isn't really all that interesting um, well, now, can I ask, because this is a point that uh, I'm currently overlooking, because, again, I haven't seen it, but is this a Category 3 film? No, 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 strictly 2B. There's nothing really bad. There's just a few, a few, you know... Because when we look at, I mean, like, we look at the trend of revenge movies with Dream Home and then, uh, what was it, uh, Revenge, a uh, Love Story, um, it's kind of been the trend for over-the-top violence. So this is dialing it back down to 2B. Did it need to be a Category 3 film? No, no. I, I think it would have been fine uh, without trying to go for Category 3. I think the story... Yeah, I guess you can say the, the cruelty of the revenge is not is a little underwhelming. and under Yeah, it's a little underwhelmed uh, for what it is, I guess. Um, it's not really that violent of a film. There are at least two moments that you could go, oh, like that. But it's not really uh, a Category 3 worthy stuff. It's nothing that bad. Um, the film wasn't really concentrated on the violence anyway, um, because it's all about psychological, being psychologically disturbing. But even that, it doesn't really achieve it that well. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's not really a category free action film. I could see why why it would appeal to Western genre fans if you go way extreme into the violence and do a lot of bloody stuff. But Johnny Toe films, you know, even the election, it's not, uh, yeah, except for election two. I mean, election one wasn't category free because of violence, it was category free because of the, um, the rituals and the language. The rituals, yeah, or accident. It wasn't, it was 2B. Um, most Milky Way crime films stick to the 2B, uh, 2B pretty. You know, pretty well. It doesn't really push the borders, and Punish doesn't do that either. Um, but uh, it does. I think what it does, what it does that uh, usual crime films don't do is that it kind of offers that thematic depth. Um, I guess the psyche of the Avenger is not something that's often explored. Um, especially, it's about. I'm not sure if it's a spoiler, but it's essentially about. Um, if revenge never ends, then what does it do to this to the to the to the Avenger, the guy doing the revenge? Which is a nice you know, I guess a nice area to explore. There's some religious imagery that kind of gives it a nice depth. But as another revenge film, it doesn't really add too much to the to the genre. Hmm. Um it's very by the books. Um but there is a very, uh, very interesting side plot that features um director Charlie Cho uh playing um Another one of Anthony Wan's employee, and he he he's um, I think he's trying to buy back uh, a rural village, which is kind of a um, parallel to the real real life situation right now. Is that you know we have we have rural villages in Hong Kong, they're bought back for redevelopment, and they're the the, the villagers are fighting back. So. Uh, Charlie Cho, who is actually very, very um, sympathetic here, and even at the premiere, he says, "I finally get to play a good guy." It's very cool. Um, in his, his and it's character- not a category three movie. <laughs> no, and it's not a category three movie. He's just a very nice guy in glasses, like a businessman. And um, I wish there was more on his plot, and I wish his plot had was in- more well better integrated into the main Avenge plot because I think I thought that was actually the more interesting part of the movie than the actual Revenge stuff. Um, as for ratings, okay, um, I think Milky Way fans will see it no matter what because this Milky Way is produced by Johnny Toe and it has Anthony Wong, so they'll probably see it at a festival or whatever, um, uh, which is fine. Um, I think they'll be okay with it. They won't be over the moon about it. Um, I'm not sure if they'll be disappointed. Some might be because uh, it's nothing like Johnny Toe's movies. Um, er- everyone else, I think it's okay for TV it. Um and if you have a problem with really bratty rich guys' daughters, then I guess you can skip it. Make this an explicit show because yeah. I heard some. Yeah. <laughs> well, Yo, the, mother. F- oh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's a method to the madness. It's because that's by Ludacris, who's yes. uh, obviously in the film we're going to be talking about. It was either that or because it's like every song he's got is explicit. I mean, I I I, I could have done uh, I could have done this one. Uh, where is it? was 13 i have my first love there was nobody that compared to my baby and nobody came between us so could ever come above she had me going crazy oh i was starstruck she woke me up daily don't need no starbucks she made my heart pound and skip a beat when i see her in the street and at school on the playground but i really want to see her on a weekend she knows she got me dazing because she was so amazing and now my heart is breaking but i just keep on saying So yeah, I mean, <laughs> don't make fun of the Bieber, man. It's, you don't it's make like, fun of the Bieber. It's <laughs> it's like going from 
one extreme to the other with his music, you know? <laughs> baby, <You've>... baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, if um, if you made it through that little uh, musical menagerie, menagerie uh, we're up to talk about our West Screen film for this week, and that is the film called Fast Five or The Fast and the Furious Five, the fifth entry in the sequel, this one being uh, directed by Justin Lin, who I b- guess has directed all of them since uh, the third film. Uh, yes, if uh, I ha- third film, fourth film, and the fifth film. Yeah, yes. if I have my, uh, my directing history correct. The uh, film brings back uh, the main stars, Vin Diesel and uh, Paul Walker, in their uh, iconic roles of uh, Dominic and Brian O'Connor. And it also brings back a number of supporting cast from all of the other films. So this is like a big reunion film. It's got people from um, the the original film, the second film, the third film, uh, the fourth film, making uh, supporting roles. The the basics of the story is it picks up exactly where the fourth film left off, um, where uh, Dominic Toretto was, uh, being taken off to prison for stuff that he had done all, you know, going all the way back to the first film. And, uh, sometimes police officer, sometimes fugitive on the run, uh, Brian O'Connor decides, uh, with his sister, uh, Dom's sister, that they're gonna get some buddies together and, and do sort of a jailbreak on the road. And that's kind of where the fourth film ends, and this picks up exactly there. And then it jumps ahead to Rio, where, you know, everybody's in South America, all kind of on the lam, and they decide, uh, they meet up with uh, Matt Schultz, who's Vince from the first film, and he, you know, offers a job to uh, Paul Walker's character, Brian, and, and his girlfriend, I guess it's his girlfriend still dating. I don't think they got married. Um, Mia, who's uh, Dom's sister. And so they go to do this job, and of course, it, it goes wrong, and, um, you know, Vin Diesel's there. The the thing that they kind of throw in here, at, sort of uh, right at the beginning, is that they've got um, uh, Dwayne Johnson, who wrestling fans will know as The Rock, The Rock. who comes in as a, uh, some kind of an officer, uh, attached to some division of the FBI, the, the you know the name's not important, uh, but he's basically like a, a federal bounty hunter. Uh, he's called in his his character Luke Hobbs is called in to track these guys down because during the heist uh, that uh, Vince has set up, a couple of federal agents are killed and they think that it was uh, Dominic and Brian who did it. Turns out, you know, obviously it wasn't because if you know their characters, they're sort of uh, anti-hero protagonists, if you will. So anyway, they're on the run from uh, Luke Hobbs, and at the same time, they decide that they're going to pull off this big heist job. It's going to be one last job, and they're all going to retire to places that don't have an extradition treaty with the United States, like Hong Kong. (laughs) Um, At least that's the plan. And to do this, they're going to be sort of basically bank robbing um, a warlord politician kind of guy who's set up in Rio. He basically controls everything named Reyes, played by uh, Joaquim de Almeida, if I'm saying his name correctly. Um, pardon me if my pronunciation's off, but he's he's been around in dozens of movies, both uh, Hollywood films and a lot of Spanish films, and he's usually playing a bad guy type of character. I think it was a bad guy in the first season of 24. Yeah, you, I mean, you'll recognize him when you see him. He's got one of those faces where you go, yeah, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. You just can't remember his name. Um, that readily, but he, he's, you know, he's great in the role that he's in as sort of the heavy. Um, but that's the, that's the basic plot. It, it's, it's shifting from, you know, what has been basically, uh, rods, uh, raves and rap, which is so sort of the common trope for these films up to now where everything has been about, you know, uh, who's got the fastest car and, now, over time, it's so slowly morphed into, all right, these racers now have to pull off jobs. And the jobs have gotten bigger and bigger to where it's now no longer about the racing um, as much as it's about the heist. And they go so far in this film as to... Because typically, there's a race that you have to prove your worth in in the race to get hired for the job. And they kind of have that set up here, but they've done it so many times before that they didn't even throw in the budget for that because the budget's going to other things. So they go to the race 
and then they're like at the line and then the next thing you know it's like cut to after the race they didn't even bother with the race this time which was kind of funny um in 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 all it's uh, some decent continuity with the earlier films if you care about that stuff if you're a fan of the earlier films there's nice little throwbacks because you've got characters from each of the films um you've got roman who was uh, the buddy of brian in the second film um, Tedge, uh, played by Ludacris, obviously the song we uh, just had during the break. Um, also in the second film, you've got uh, Han, who was a character in the third film, which kind of really throws a, a wacky wrench into everything, if you've seen the third film. Um, and they make, like at the end of this one, they, 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 they make a reference to that, which I kind of laughed at, the way they, they talked about it. Um, and then you've got uh, Gal Gadot, who played Giselle, in the fourth film. Um, so they're all kind of coming together in, in sort of this Ocean's Eleven style, you know, manner where they've all got a role to play and pulling off this heist. Um, it's got the most bang for the buck of all the, sh all the shows so far. Uh, I, I, now, I had never seen any of these before because I'm not a big fan of car chases or races. Um, usually when there's a car chase on screen... You know, uh, you think of car chases, I think of like old movies with Steve McQueen, like in Bullet or something, or The French Connection. And since then, you know, car chases have kind of just been doing the same kinds of stuff. I mean, crashes, explosions, uh, races. So it doesn't, it's not a big draw for me. So I was never really that excited to go out and watch these. I, and, you know, I figured, okay, there's a fifth movie now. This is obviously a big part of popular culture. These are doing well in some circles because they've been continued to make these. And I'm a pretty big Vin, Vin Diesel fan. Um, so I said, all right, it's time for me to give these a chance. So I watched all of them back-to-back -back, kind of over the weekend before watching this fifth one. Um, so they're all pretty fresh in my mind. I think I liked, I enjoyed this one far more so because it got away from the pure, you know, you know, racing and flexing our, you know, manhood through our cars kind of ideas that the other films were based on. Um, but it's still, again, those same common tropes that I mentioned. There's still a lot of focus on the cars, the hot rods. Uh, there's a sort of a rave scene where they always go to this place where all the, all the cars are being shown off and there's rap music playing in the background and there's girls in, in you know, small outfits parading around. Um, and it's the, same, it's the same throughout. Even the one in Tokyo was exactly the same. It was just a bunch of Japanese people. Um, but I enjoyed the heist aspect of this more because there was less focus on racing, basically. It still suffers from the common logic problems that heist films typically have. And this was one of my, my big problems with, uh, you know, Ocean's Eleven and some of the other similar films where they've got this big plan, you know, and basically the goal is to get at money. But in achieving that goal, they have to spend a ton of money. You know, it's like at, at one scene, there's this huge safe that they have to figure out how to get access to. So they order a replica of the safe. I'm like, if you've got that much money for, you know, to, to, to soup up all these cars and get a replica of the safe, by the end of it, you're not going to be making much overhead. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> so it's got that kind of a problem. And, and I've seen that before in other heist films. And it doesn't really, you don't really need to pay attention to it because that's not really... You know, it's not about the goal. It's about the getting there. That's really more important. Um, and then there's this whole thing with physics. Wow. Do they, they physics, they just throw physics out the window. The whole sort of end sequence um, deals with cars and something very heavy. And it's just, it, it's nice and pretty and exciting to look at. But it's like they said, physics, we don't need no stinking physics. <laughs> and they just threw physics out the window. Um, the camaraderie is, is really what a lot of people are here to see. Uh, the interactions between these characters that you know about, but this is not going to play well for a new audience. If you're just coming com coming into this series for the first time, you're not going to really get the sense of these relationships. So um, it would be hard to recommend for somebody who hasn't seen the other films. Um, there's a big throwdown, obviously, at some point between The Rock and Vin Diesel. That was kind of a letdown. Um, I, I like that scene. Actually. Did you? The, the, I didn't think it was all, you know, choreographed all that well. Um, it does get a little bit WWF-esque, which, you know, is obviously for the rock fans out there. Um, but I, I don't know. I was kind of hoping for something a little bit 
bigger. And it was, it was inside. It was shot kind of dark. You really couldn't see a lot. It was just like a lot of going through walls and windows and, and more about the sound effects than the visuals for a lot of it. Um, but I'd say, yeah, if you're, if you're into the series, it's a definite see it. Um, it's a really good popcorn movie, a matinee film, you know, at the very least. Um, if you haven't seen any of them and you're kind of interested, but you don't want to go back and watch the others, you could probably TV it. You probably won't get as much out of it though. Uh, Kevin, what do you say? Well, okay. Um, continuity, like you said, it's a good thing for the fans. Um, by the way, stick, stick around for the credits. Um, somewhere in the middle of the credits, there's an extra scene and, uh, essentially the fans will love it. Meanwhile, the theater I went to, people just went, what, what? Yeah. So non-fans would kind of be just WTFing uh, all the way. Uh, well, fans... that, that end scene, I was kind of WTFing too. Because yeah. it's like... Uh, they... Well, WTFing of at least you recognize what was going on. Yeah. But it, I think the rest of the audience, because I heard it got a really good reaction in the States. That scene always gets a really good reaction in the States. But uh, at, at our theater, the one we went to, because these people probably didn't watch the fourth film, they just went, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. And and it, it also references the second film as well. Uh yeah 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 second yeah. yeah second film and the fourth film actually the series in general yes. Um, I can I can understand why they try to do some fan service, but you know I don't think it's it's like a Star Wars where you have a cult of fast a fast cult or something. So I'm not <laughs> a sure. A furious cult. Be. Yeah, fast and furious. furious. Yeah. <laughs> or like like you have two two it Reminds two, me of the uh, what was yeah. the Ben Stiller movie movie where he's Mr. Furious. Um uh, Mis- uh, Mystery Men? Was Mystery that Man. it? Yeah. yeah. Mystery Man. Okay, furious. <laughs> <laughs> um but I guess okay, I guess as as people who who follow the whole series will be and will be will appreciate it. Um but um most Hong Kong fans apparently are not really fast and furious fans, so they were kind of like what? I don't get it. Um, Asian American Pride, Justin Lin, Asian American director who who started off making an indie film called Better Luck Tomorrow. Um, very much a point of pride in the Asian filmmaking community. Uh, now only makes Fast and Furious movies or Asian American indies, apparently. Um, and he's not even doing much of the latter anymore. He's uh, now a producer on the series. So the $83 million weekend, yeah. You know, you know he's getting a budget. He's he's getting a bit of that. Uh, so good for him. Uh, the hundred twenty-five million dollar budget definitely shows here. Uh, they're shooting in Rio de Janeiro, and I have never seen one movie that takes place in one city that that is shot in so many places. Because part of it you can see is somewhere as elsewhere. You you there's no way that the entire movie was shot in Rio. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know this is the official transition movie from the racing films of the franchise to be in a heist franchise they were gonna they're gonna transition entirely to heist movies uh starting from the next film uh even though crime element's always been there which i guess is fine so i guess they're making like an oceans movie for ghetto folks uh that's essentially what it is a lot of down dirty um violence off screaming vin screaming and, and a lot of sun and a lot of scantily clad you know, woman and love loud rap music, um, and that's fine. I, I, it is what it is. Um, is this is what I call convenient physics? Uh, the the object that we we would talk about it will co- it will cause havoc when they can afford it. When they can afford to take down a bunch of crap, when they blow a bunch of crap, then it will be swinging everywhere, left and right. But you know, when when they can't afford it, then it it goes exactly where physics won't let you go. But goes the smoothest way possible just because it doesn't make sense but it's just really convenient um but you know it does the film finally delivers what the franchise has been trying to deliver for five movies now which is um cool car chases and big budget and big budget spectacle and um i think it does deliver on that and and i'm not a fan of the franchise even though i've seen i think almost all the films uh except the second film um I think this one finally delivers what it has been trying, the franchise has been trying to deliver. Um, you would help about The Rock and Vin Diesel, the showdown. I call it Rock versus Vin, a love story. My <laughs> God, the homoeroticism, they, they should be like, so while Mia and, and what's his name? Um, O'Connor has, has their thing. The Rock and the Vin, they have their thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you can essentially re-edit their scenes together and play with with like you don't bring me flowers or something. <laughs> it would be like yeah, would, we'll have to wait for that to hit YouTube. It would be like in the mood for love for 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 men who love cars. It would be awesome. I love it. <laughs> I loved it. It was great. Uh, it was really homoerotic, and I like the showdown. You know, even though yeah, the, the breaking down walls thing is a little much, but it was cool. You know, it's like they're both wearing they're both wearing extra small t-shirts, and it was almost like a fight to see who would break out yeah, first. It's just you know, it was like, um, there there were two two fist fights basically. There was one in the beginning when they're doing the first heist with this train, um, mm-hmm. which was an amazing train by the way, because it yeah. underwent a stupendous amount of damage and it never stopped. Um, but there's, there's a fist fight with Vin Diesel and the sort of the right hand bad guy of the main villain, Reyes. And he's like this little scrawny short dude. And Vin Diesel's just pounding on him and he's just taking it and he's fighting back. And I'm like, no way this guy'd be out with one punch from Vin Diesel. I mean, you know, that, that character. And I know that if Vin Diesel actually hit him, he'd be out because, you know, Vin Diesel is an ex-bouncer. He knows, he knows his stuff when it comes to to do in real fighting, but I'm just thinking, there's no way this guy could withstand that kind of punishment from a character as big as Dom. Um, but then later, when he's kind of going at it with The Rock, it's, you know, The Rock's, like, huge in this movie. He really got pumped up. Um, I don't remember what the last movie I saw. I think it was the Escape from Witch Mountain remake. He was nowhere near as big then as he is now. He really um, beefed up for this for this role or, or for whatever he's doing. Um, and he was just really, really big. And, and Vin Diesel, I mean, he looked great in the first movie, but you can kind of see he's kind of let himself go um, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, he's, not, he's not as cut as he used to be. But, yeah. you know, again, it's, it's a very much a masculine ballet between these two guys. And, <laughs> but they're smacking on each other, and they're going through walls, and they're going through windows. But then in, like, the very next scene, it's like Vin Diesel's got a little bruise on his face he's like he's not cut up at all or anything it's just like okay come on i mean but you know yeah it's i agree with you it was there was some homoeroticism going on with it it was kind of funny in that context it was wonderful it was just what you can't even like you can't even write this write this stuff because it was so taken like i have a a feeling that chris morgan and justin had like a bet (laughs) and like how far can we take this homoeroticism before they actually find out and beat us up so, what's your final verdict? Okay, final verdict is um, if you can find a nice, loud theater, and I don't mean that small 90-seat box that's in your local mall. Um, I'm talking to you, make a box. Um, if you can find this nice, now yeah, really loud theater, we saw it at a rumbling seat theater. Uh, I say see it because it is um, a fun time. It's a little over long, 130 minutes is a little bit long. But I think it's a really fun time, a really fun summer movie. Um Otherwise, you know, just TV it and turn it up, um, and I think it will be it will work fine there. Um, I I now kind of look forward to the sixth movie for the first time. I look forward to the next Furious Fast and Furious movie. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You know, speaking of a Fast and Furious sequel, what are they going to call it? Is it more fast and more furious or faster and furiouser? I mean, they're kind of running out of uh, name extensions. I, I think they just go straight ahead. We like the diff this movie. Actually, the reason they didn't go with Fast and Furious 5 is because Kung Fu Panda 2 is also called the Furious 5. Oh, is it? So, yeah. So that's the reason they didn't go with Fast and Furious 5. And I think... From now on, when you get to like Friday's like Friday the Thirteenth ter- territory now, yeah. <laughs> where is the sixth movie, the seventh movie? I think yeah, I think it's called straight Speedy up Six or something. Speed yeah. Six or or uh, uh, Six or Fast Six Speed Six yeah. Furious thing. I don't give up. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a couple comments we got over on the site uh, from our last episode. David Harris wrote in because we were talking about Michael Hoy getting the award at uh, Udine. They said, Michael Hoy Films, how can you forget Robbie Hood? Um, I've done nothing but try and forget that film. 
and uh, you know, as, as I was as I left a comment over on the on the site, I didn't have a problem with Robbie Hood until they decided to jumpstart the baby, and that's when I kind of was like, ah, I'm, I'm done. Uh, this film has lost me. Hmm. Um, it would not be a film that I would recommend. Uh, you know, if I was going to introduce somebody to uh, Michael Hoy films, uh, it'd probably be down towards the bottom. Yeah. Um, but then he goes on to mention a, a bit later, he says, he says, I think The Private Eyes is a must-have for any fan of Hong Kong cinema. And I would agree with that one. That's a great one that features, you know, all, it's a classic. It features all the, the brothers together. And you can then follow it up with a screening of Fantasia, which is sort of a parody of that and some of the other uh, Michael Hoy films from the 70s, which in which he, you know, makes a cameo at the end. Um, there is also a little bit of discussion about, um, uh, where, where can I find it? Is it here? Oh, no, that must have been the previous one. There, the, the previous week, they were talking a little bit about the uh, Chinese ghost story animation and how that's become sort of a rarity on uh, video. Um, have you ever seen that one, Kevin? I really, really enjoyed that, but it's kind the of hard. By Hark? Yeah, it's kind of hard to find. It's like really expensive collector's price if you if you can find it used. Um, I'd like to see that on Blu-ray. I saw on a VHS that was recorded from Malaysia Disc. So yeah, that's <laughs> there's no yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a copy of that somewhere in my you know storage DVDs back in the states. I need to kind of try and find it. Is actually out a DVD? Yeah, yeah. There oh. was a, there was a DVD of it, um, but it's it's out of print and hard to find. And mm-hmm. it it is a movie that would be really nice on Blu-ray if they would uh, get somebody to you know to release it in a you know a decent transfer. Um, let's see. And Matt S wrote in talking about uh, uh, Hemdall's casting. He says Hemdall's casting doesn't bother me, and he's probably uh, my favorite Norse Norse god. He's a minor character, plus he's a god, alien, or whatever the Asgardians are. In this movie, we really don't know what they're supposed to look like. And, you know, that's a, that's a valid point. Um, he says, but I do think there are instances when you need a Caucasian in a role, especially for characters with rich prior histories in other media. Um, you wouldn't shoot a modern Zorro film with a non-Hispanic actor, but if you suggest that a Peter Parker probably needs to remain, then you're automatically branded a racist. Uh, racist. And this goes back to some of the discussion that was going on earlier when they were talking about the new Spider-Man reboot uh, a few months ago and the possibility of casting it as a, you know, an African-American actor. Um, and then a lot of people were saying, no, you can't do that. And other people saying, why not? If you can't do, if you say we can't do it, then that's racism. And, you know, we're kind of back into that whole thing. The, the latest that I've read on uh, Akira's, they're talking about putting Keanu in it as Kaneda. Um, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I'm grumpy. I'm getting grumpy. I better stop talking. <laughs> well, who would you cast? I I don't know. I mean, the the I've been told that Akira is the name of the character. So if you name if you put in a non Japanese character or actor in it, then you have to rename the entire film. You can't call it Akira anymore. Why? Is that I mean, mean, because how can you, Bruce Lee Japanese is named name? Bruce? Come on. Yeah, but. The, <laughs> So you have to call like the movie like and I'm, I'm stealing a joke from Kozo here because he said this you know you have to rename the movie like Bob because it's <laughs> that's what it is it's a guy's name I mean yeah, it's no longer in Neo Tokyo it's now in Neo Okinawa right so. yeah or like if you if you rename Spider if you take Spider Man make him a Japanese guy or something they have to be Spider John Spider Coon. <laughs> Uh, by with yeah, Peter so, Chow, right? It's uh... <laughs> so no, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I've been putting in. Th- I'm, I'm not sure how how much the ethnicity has to do with the story or the plot, because again, I I think I've seen Akira a very long time ago and remember much from it. I should have. I guess I should remember more. But yeah, I don't remember much about the film, and I'm not sure how much um, effect on the story we were putting in uh, a Caucasian actor. Yeah. Would. Um, Plus, um, actually, I, I, also Keanu is also playing um, a a pseudo-Asian character in the 47 Ronin film. Anyway. Yeah. And let us not Hi. forget, because it is Buddha's birthday, he was the Buddha. <laughs> a little Buddha. 
<laughs> yes. Classic film. Um, he is one. He is Buddha. I mean, what else? No other role, I guess, can live up to Keanu's anymore unless he yeah. plays Asian. He needs to play Darth Vader in the Star Wars <sighs> remake. No. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> you, like, uh, was, join you, me, Luke, and we can learn to party on. <laughs> okay. Um, but Matt also mentioned he said that uh, uh, sure you could fill, uh, shoot a film with a black Steve Ro- Steve Rogers. Um, remember the Will Smith rumors? So there was a point when Will Will Smith was up for the uh, rumored to be up for the Captain America role. Um, but he says, don't be surprised if you alienate existing fans who aren't necessarily bigots, just very attached to a character they've come to know and love over the years. Um, so yeah, some good points. Again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tricky issue. It's, it's kind of hard to know, you know, how, if you stick, if you stay true to, you know, so-called core material, you know, are you being potentially racist for excluding other potential actors? Or if you are like Anthony Hopkins and putting on makeup to play Othello, you know, is that, bad now in in the current era um it's just it's really weird it's 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 kind of hard to say what's right i've I've always kind of been of the mind that if an actor is good enough at acting you know let him go for it i mean everybody loved eddie murphy dressing up as you know old white cranky men in um uh what was it uh nutty professor was that the one he did it in or uh, some of the other stuff, you know, he 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 became very well known for doing that. But at the same time, you ha- I remember you had a C. Thomas Howell film back in the day, in the Soul Man, Soul Man, you know, and that was like, oh my gosh, you know, blackface, we can't do that. Um, so I don't. It's still such a touchy issue. I I kind of wish we were able to just uh, get beyond it and, and let people experiment and and try stuff. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Um, but you know, he brings up a good point, uh, with, uh, Will Smith, he can play anything, right? If you put a Lord Guan movie starring a Japanese actor, what would the Chinese think? I, I am almost just, you know, you think it'll be another, another one of those, uh, um, uh, well, who's, depends on, depends on, on who it's going to be, right? If it's going to be a uh, Kimura, yeah, that's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> As hope is like the most racist Japanese man ever. Yeah, it would be uh, awesome. No, you know, uh, <laughs> but that, that's 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 an interesting point because remember the Andy Lau movie, um, Battle of Wits. That's based mm. on a Japanese manga, that's super popular. Mm. You know, even though the source material is kind of originally, you know, Chinese. Yeah, it's also based in Chinese. You know, but that the, the, that particular manga series is super popular amongst lots of pe- different peoples in Asia. So. I don't know, and, and I mean, look at the what is it? Uh, the the entire games genre, um, you know, Romance of the Three Kingdoms games and the Dynasty Warriors games, those are all very much Japanese in their influence. I mean, the way they make, um, you know, Cao Cao and Liu Bei and 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 uh, Zhang Fei and all those guys look, is they don't really look Chinese at all. You know, they look like very typical sort of Japanese manga and anime characters for the most part. No, I think it's perfectly fine to take a, a, a maybe a story that is created by a Japanese creator and then bring it back to the culture where it takes place. It is it takes place in China, so I I think it's it's fine. I think the problem of Akira is that you're taking a, a story that was taking place in Japanese culture, uh, even named after a Japanese guy, and then you you not only you buy it for American audience, you have to re, re, you're kind of revisionist. You're, you're turning the entire world into something else. You're making something else entirely. You're recasting mm-hmm. it. Different race. Um, I do wish that race doesn't get thrown in so often all the time, but I guess um, minorities, and again, it's okay for me to say this because I'm a, more, I'm a minority. Um, minorities like get up in arms when when they feel like they're being victimized by hollywood because mainstream apparently is white and they're not so when 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 they when their characters are switched to being um when the minority is being switched to mainstream of course the minor minorities are gonna are gonna are gonna complain and again there's a double you have to face that there's a double standard when a character uh, if a, a white character is turned into a minority you can't 
scream you can't you can't complain about it because then that means you're racist yeah it's that double standard i think it'll never go away as long as the minority majority uh there's always that kind of racial balance in in the states Mm. all right so uh, again, if you'd like to participate in the commentary, you can visit us at our website at www.concast.com, or you can go over to iTunes and leave us a review over there. We'd love to hear some feedback from you. You can follow us on Twitter at, uh, you can follow the show at twitter.com slash concast, or you can follow Mr. Ma directly with his uh, frequent film updates at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, that is one word. Or you can email us some feedback or some comments or even an audio file if you'd like to, uh, you know, do a, have us play a short review of a film you've seen or just post a question to us. Um, you can send that to eastscreen at gmail.com. Try and keep them short and to the point and fairly good audio quality. and We can play that on the show. Final thoughts there, Mr. Ma? Um, no. Happy birthday, Buddha, again. Happy birthday. How old are you now? <laughs> Too many candles, right? <laughs> um, so where can people find out some of the more stuff you'll be writing on uh, this week? You got anything in the, in the pipeline? This week, I am not reviewing anything. Uh, next week, I should be reviewing Pirates of the Caribbean uh, for www.ypmovies.com.hk. Um, I'm still working on my Mr. and Mrs. Single review for Love HK Film. I promise I really am halfway on it. I'm not, I'm not just bull crapping. Um, yeah, you can also, of course, follow me on Twitter, and you can also email me at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. Yes, email you, email him with, with your thoughts for who should play in the Akira movie, because uh, he has absolutely no influence, but he'd love to have a full inbox. <laughs> or or tell me what, what they should rename Akira to. Personally, I, I am in favor of recalling it Vin. Vin. <laughs> How about Kevin? Or Kevin. <laughs> Or Paul. <laughs> but no, there's already a Paul movie. So yeah, no, we can't yeah do that's Paul done. Anymore. We can't do that. No. I, that's not playing over here either. I can't get a chance to see it. I'm going to have to wait for it to come on iTunes, I guess. Yeah, as far as I know, it barely played in America either. So yeah. that's okay. Um, so, all right. Yeah, that's how you can uh, keep up with us. Next time, episode 64. Looks like we'll be looking at uh, The Detective, the sequel, or The Detective 2, the, the sequel to the original Detective from a few years ago. And Gantz in our pants once again with the sequel to Gantz, Gantz Perfect Answer. Gantz in and, uh, pants. Another 3D movie, uh, unless I can find it playing not in 3D. Uh, the Vampire Saga Priest uh, should be up for dissectation, uh, verbal dissectation on our next episode. So until then, as always, we'll wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Well, the, the other thing, too, and this may be a thing I have to throw in the back of the, in spoilers, but I'll try not to spoil it, but the, the, the character of Han, played by Song Kang, do you think they made a mistake with that character back in the third movie? Um, I, because, I mean, again, he shows up in the fourth movie and he's here, and, it, you know, it's kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty. that, the, I, I don't know, it's... They wrote themselves into a into a thing where now everything following free has to be a prequel. Yeah, they all have to be prequels, and now free gets pushed later. You know, and later. Th- that was like one of the lamest things that happened in in the whole series. What happened in three? And and you know, again, I won't. Uh, I don't know if we want to throw it up in in spoiler. I guess we can throw it up in spoilers. You know, basically he dies in mm-hmm. three, and then you know, in this one that you know, so he's still alive here. He's still alive in four. And they have to make reference to that fact, which yeah, is fine. Yeah, they do. Which is fine. And, and again, the line that they say, he, say, he says something like, because he ends up having a relationship with Giselle, which is kind of weird because she was sort of the love interest for Dom in 4. They never really, you know, 
got it to fruition, but they she was like the the love interest, and there was some tension there between him and her. But then here she's like all over Han, and you know they drive off into the sunset together, and they're in Germany or somewhere. And he's like, she's like, oh, I thought you wanted to go to Tokyo, and he's like, we'll get there eventually. You know, well, Paul, you know why Stone got the uh, what's his name? Um, I keep forgetting his name, the character's name. Han? You know why why Han got the girl? Why? Because Asian men has to get the girl. <laughs> the Asian men must get the girl. I'm sorry, it's well, about he, time. That didn't happen in that didn't man. happen in in part three for sure. Actually, no, in part three, the white guy didn't get the girl either. No, yeah, he did. He did he? Yeah. Well, I, no, but th- th- there was a re. I, I think I had to give uh, credit for Justin Lin for always adding these little nice Asian American uh, things for us. I guess murder's a line where. Um, I mean, the girl who isn't who isn't white. I think she was like mixed race. Yeah. She says she tells the uh, the 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 main character, "Why can't you just find a nice Japanese girl like everyone else?" <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. No, that was his, that was him. Him. That was Han who said that. It was Han. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. yeah he they, had they that line. In. Yeah, I just love these little little bit of age, like uh, um, I guess. Uh, little bit of cheering points for the yeah. Asian American crowd. Well, the, the, that's and the one I thing I'll it. say I'm glad they didn't do here was bring that character in from 3 because mm-hmm. I hated him. Well, he, he's never going to show up because he's way too late in the timeline now. Yeah. So so don't worry. I don't think he's ever... The way they set it up is that he was never, he's never going to show up um, unless they decide to jump ahead to beyond the world beyond 3. But right now, I think Han is a, is a good character to keep around. And yeah. I think, yeah, that is a mistake to, to do what they did in the, in the third film because he was a really, he was easily the coolest character in, in the third film too. Yeah. 